0: Welcome to the final episode of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Duane France.
1: And I'm Doc Shauna Springer.
0: And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. To check out all the shows, search for STMSS in the Google Play or Apple App Store, and you can download an app that will allow you to listen to all the episodes, check out the show notes, and share the episode with somebody who you think might need to hear it. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member veteran and military family suicide. When I talk about this project, I talk about how it's a limited series, 50 shows. Turns out that we're actually going to be doing 52 shows with the bonus episode at the beginning, introducing the concept, and this bonus episode at the end. We wanted to bring on a guest who had some experience at distilling a wide range of themes into a single clear concept, but also one that had no direct experience with addressing suicide in the military-affiliated population.
1: So Jamie Mustard is an expert on perception in the physical world, a strategic multimedia consultant, art, design, and product futurist, conceptual artist, and the author of the award winning book, The Iconist. To many in the field of visual perception and some of the leading companies in the world who have sought Jamie out for his talents, Jamie is simply known as the iconist. Jamie sees the matrix on what makes something stand out, and his passion is to teach the science and art of obviousness helping professionals, change agents, artists, and businesses confidently make their messages, brands, and ideas stand out. As he shares in this interview, Jamie has been shaped by a history of trauma, and his ideas emerge from a place of understanding and empathy for those who have been deeply impacted by their own traumas. Jamie has been a close friend and support to me for a long time. He's influenced my thinking and helped shape my career path in critical ways. Dwayne and I invited Jamie to interview for the final show of this year-long project because his gift of perception may be life-saving. To prepare for this interview, Jamie was presented with the core themes that emerged over a year of interviews with a diverse array of guests. So proud to have my friend Jamie share his genius for the benefit of all of us who are emotional frontline responders in the work of preventing suicide.
0: Yes, I think Jamie brought some very good insight to this conversation. So we'll get into it and then we'll come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. I really appreciate you coming on the show to share your expertise. This topic of suicide prevention is just suicide prevention in general, but also military and veteran suicide prevention specifically is so important, but it's also in the midst of all of these other things we have going on. So your work helping us wrap this up and then maybe look forward, looking at blocks and icons. Really wanted to bring you on to have a different take on what we're doing. But before we get to that, this is an important topic for you and topics like these. And I'd like to hear a little bit about why you wanted to really dive into this topic.
2: I want my work to stand alone as social science. And I, for many years, I was reluctant to tell my story or talk about my story in relation to my work. I overcame extreme illiteracy, poverty, and neglect To end up at the London School of Economics, which is a pretty serious social science school. And trauma, isolation, extreme isolation, and then resilience has been a major, if not the major theme of my life. Because I've been through that, I understand what that does to people. And as much as people might look at me in my life and see how shiny and happy it looks on the outside, I have the scars and the cuts. It's where I come from. And I don't know that for me that it ever fully heals. It's like living with an open wound in a way. So I have complete respect for our nation's warriors. And and I have some understanding of what it means to experience deep trauma. So yeah, it's my honor to be able to contribute to those who protect us.
0: And I think that's significant. You identified sort of isolation and resilience. Extreme isolation, repeated isolation can build resilience. So one can lead to the other and you have to be able to be hardy resilient, so to speak, just to overcome, and again, this trauma and isolation isn't something that is solely a service member veteran military family issue. As you said, growing up, how you experience your childhood and your adulthood, that has both been isolating and resilient.
2: I think it's a really good point. I think that all of us as human beings are like a graphic equalizer. And when we experience deep trauma, both happen. We get very isolated. And to some degree, to combat that isolation, we are resilient. And we never know how an individual human being, where they're going to land more on that spectrum. And still, with everything that's unfolded in my life that is amazing, I still experience a certain degree of isolation just from my life experience. I know what it's like to have such a strange, traumatic, bizarre life experience that no matter who, you walk to the grocery store, you walk down the street, no matter what you deal with, or what you come across, you feel like you're alone in a room full of 100 people. I know what that feels like. And I think that it's different for some people, but some people are high on the resilience and maybe they're able to feel less isolated. Some people are incredibly isolated and don't have a ton of resilience. And I don't think we know how that's going to play out for different people. In my book, I I talk a lot about digital isolation and digital connectivity. We have teen suicide rates through the roof, preteen suicide record levels, but we have all this digital social connectivity. And so what I think is happening is that we've replaced physical connection, being in the same room with with each other with digital connection. It's not the same, but it, it it tricks us because it makes us think that it's the same. And then we start feeling isolated and we don't know why because we're connected to the internet. So when I was trying to make this point for the book, I did some research on extreme isolation in supermax prisons. And there's a set of psychological phenomenon and manifestation that come from these supermax prisons where you're really isolated, deprived of sight, sound, touch, light. And the type of symptoms that you see people that live like that have is paranoia, rage, aggression. So I I believe that all of us, that any type of isolation, even if it's not to that extreme supermax prison degree, is causing those manifestations in us. So maybe on a lesser level, but whether it's digital isolation or isolation because you've seen things that other human beings haven't seen that you can't unsee, that with that comes maybe a slightly more muted, but degrees of those psychological manifestation.
0: You know, and we're having this conversation at the end of 2020, as we're recording this, and many of the veterans that I work with as a mental health counselor say, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, that they say that now other people can understand how they feel walking around with this plexiglass barrier between them and the world. That's exactly what you're talking about, is there is this arm's length or is there's this individual barrier that many veterans, in my experience, say, that they can tell that they are, so to speak, in the world, but not of the world, that alone in a crowded room that you just referred to. And that's one of the things that, again, in the research can really lead to depression, despair, hopelessness, which ultimately that expression, suffering and Mm -hmm. suicide at its basic is an attempt to stop suffering by the most final means ever.
2: I think it's a really good point. i have a neighbor who's a South African guy. He's an interesting guy. He grew up in in exile because his father was a freedom fighter for Mandela. And then he went back and worked for Mandela when he was able to come back to his country. And he and I have dinner normally throughout the years. have had dinner a lot. He has barbecues in his backyard. And I saw him the other day on his stoop and he said hello. And he's a very warm guy. And I realized I hadn't been able to touch him or go near him or hug my friend in almost a year. And it was, I had this feeling of just this kind of dread or sadness that entered me. I have to, in terms of my life, and and again, these things are degrees. I think my circumstance and what I've been through is pretty extreme. But for me, I have to practice not isolating internally and externally. I have to engage in that as a practice in my life to remain buoyant and to remain happy. That's a practice. I have to be very conscious of it. If I'm not conscious of it, I can, I can, definitely see myself hey i haven't seen somebody in a month i i can do that i can be that guy but i just make it a, a very conscious practice on a daily basis
0: You know, it's interesting that you say that because yes, we have to engage with intentionality in those things that were just a habit before. They just seem to happen, but now we have to be intentional about them. And really that's the basis of your work. We're having these conversations in the background, but when we're talking about blocks and icons and getting our message out there, it has to be very intentional and deliberate. And so we have these themes that have emerged and I'm interested to hear from you About this, and we provided you with this list of whatever we want to call them, concepts or emergent themes that our guests collectively, all of them or majority of them have talked about. For me, reviewing your work, these are potentially blocks, but then what do we do with them?
2: One thing I'll say is that with my work, I grew up abandoned by my parents in an inner city environment with a lot of hostilities around me. Okay, so I felt an extreme, I, I would almost call that invisibility. And so it, it's ironic, or maybe the opposite of ironic, that my work now, I consult with people that are leaders in their field in almost any medium of work all over the world for how to stand out. So there's a either a great irony in that and lack of irony. Maybe my life's work has led me to be obsessed with how to not Houdini myself out of being invisible. So in in doing that, I think I inadvertently eventually figured out a pathway for anybody based on these kind of primal laws of perception, which are in my book. Yeah. So I was looking at this list of these themes and the, the one that really jumped out at me was the importance of connectedness. So it's interesting. Basically, when people come to me for help, typically, and I get hired by a lot of technology companies, even though I'm not into technology, I'm starting to do a lot of work in finance, even though I'm not that interested in the subject of money. But I'm really a translator. What I tell people is anything that you can't understand in your lizard brain before you have a chance to think that you're trying to communicate, before the person your audience has a chance to think, gets instantly discarded. So that means you can lead with one thing Sesame Street style, oversized. And it can't be a slogan. A slogan is desperate. It has to be a statement, a problem you resolve, or a purpose of yours or a result you achieve, and it has to be oversized. So if these companies come to me or an individual comes to me and they have 45 things about themselves that they think are important. And they say, Jamie, how do I distill it down to that one thing that people are going to connect to and want to learn more? Because in a world overloaded with content, we can we should talk about this concept of dilution a bit. In a world loaded with content, people see nothing, okay? But so what I do is I look at the 45 things they want to lead with, And then I become obsessed with the person they're trying to reach. What is the person they're trying to reach out of these 45 most care about? What is the best that that you have to offer? Where does that intersect with what your target audience that you're trying to communicate to really cares about? So when I look at this list that you put in front of me, Duane, and I ask myself, what would a veteran or their spouse or family member connect to out of this list and its importance of connectedness? That's the, one, that's the one that I think keeps people alive when they're connected. And that's the one that I think would have the most emotional resonance for me. A, if I was a spouse of someone dealing with depression or suicide, and B, if I was someone dealing with the, that.
0: I really appreciate that. And as, as I anticipated that you would, I think you hit at the core, maybe even the super theme, because if I look at some of these other things like coordination and collaboration among agencies, that's connectedness, the public health approach, it's connecting to the community, the reaching out to support individuals in crisis is connectedness, reducing stigma, providing treatment, importance of community interventions, all of these things have to do with connecting with people and getting the message out there. So I, I agree the importance of connectedness even though it wasn't the the only theme that emerged i think it is the single emergent theme of the entire show
2: it's a really good point i didn't see that in the list but most of your list is under that umbrella. That's very fascinating. One of the things that I'm obsessed with is this concept of dilution. and I think it's like the boiled frog. It's overwhelmed us as a culture without us even realizing it. And one of the examples that I often give in the book is that if I was a, a person that was a baker in a small town in America in 1950, and I sold baked goods, maybe I'm competing with three other bakers in town. And if I walked around in my daily life, I was hit with about 250 advertising messages a day. By 1970, that was 500 advertising messages a day. By the late 90s, it was five to 7,000 advertising messages a day. But now thought experiments show that it's probably between 10 to 15,000 advertising messages a day. A human being couldn't process 1,000. So what does that mean For you as the individual, it means that you now as an individual human compete with all that messaging. So you've now become faded into the backdrop and have become more invisible. And this has a lot to do with connectedness. In 1998, there was a woman who was doing research for Microsoft and Apple named Linda Stone. And this is before the internet came up and was in full swing. And she coined the term continuous partial attention to describe how people are so overwhelmed with content this is before the internet was rolling, really rolling in 1998. They were so overwhelmed with content that they were only partially paying attention. So a lot of people talk about how overwhelmed we are and how distracted we are. Where, where I think makes my book different, what makes my interest different, I think because of my background is I'm more concerned. And this really goes to the point of someone that is dealing with these issues in the modern world, Dwayne. I'm more concerned with if everyone around you isn't paying attention to you, What is that doing to you? So now you have people that are dealing with these issues of depression and they're dealing with these issues of suicide and they're doing it in a context where no one is paying attention and you can't get attention from people more than ever before. And we don't realize it and we don't talk about it. But the context of these issues with the last 20 years of the internet, that's a light switch in time in terms of how fast that's come upon us. I'm moved by the work that you do. And I think it's really important to understand that we have this new challenge of this connectedness in a world where people are not paying attention to individuals more than ever before. And I think it's really important to be aware of that you and Sean are doing this work in that context.
0: And so in, in, as you're talking about that, in in everybody is giving partial attention, especially people in a particular population. I, as a veteran and a service member and a mental health professional, I am likely more aware and I put more of my partial attention on the military and veteran suicide rate than someone who doesn't have that connection. And that would be true for older adults who are addressing this and LGBTQ plus, but even my colleagues who are in this space, they're trying to give this as much attention as veteran homelessness and unemployment and wellness. So this is one facet of an increasingly common Complex jewel, and it's harder and harder. It's a very important topic. And so, with that partial attention, decreases connectedness. And the opposite of connectedness is isolation which goes back to our first part sure. of our conversation.
2: Sure, and I just think this is such a big theme, and it's it, with all those things that you named that you can do, I just think none of them work unless you're leading with connectedness as the most important, that's the triage. If you, it, It's triage, and then it's continued care. If you don't have connectedness, you're gonna have no one to give wellness to. You're gonna have no one to house. You're gonna have no one's mental wellness to serve. I, I have a brother who spent many years homeless, in New York City. And when we reconnected, he's now living in an apartment, and he's been sober for 10 years, and we talk regularly. And when he and I reconnected, because we didn't really know each other growing up, we were estranged. He's he In his counseling, they told him, one of the reasons you ended up on the street is that you're not connected. And if you want to have the successes in sobriety and the successes of living off the street... To continue, you need to find people that you can connect with. And he called me and he said, I want you to be that person for me. It was one of the most flattering things anyone's ever said to me in my entire life. So I just, it because of that person, and yeah, they told him one of the major reasons he'd slid there was again, back to the seam, a lack of connectedness.
0: And that's, and, and obviously, and a, a plug for your book, I, the the story of your brother is at the end of your book. And even thinking about that story, and I definitely recommend readers take a, a reader or listen to it, but his story of the serendipitous connection, some very interesting things happened that sort of put him on the path of wellness, but it was people reaching out and connecting with him, law enforcement officers and so on. And so if connectedness is this emergent theme? Is that a block? How do we turn that block into an icon? Because you said it's not a slogan. It's not the VA has the be there campaign. It's about connectedness. But how do we use this emergent theme of connectedness to get the message out there?
2: Listen, Dwayne, it's so interesting talking to you because it's not very often, if ever, that while I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'm actually having massive realizations about my worldview as I'm having that conversation. And I'm having some realizations as we're talking. And and one of the things that I just realized in listening to your response to what I said, and I want to thank you for it, is if you look at what happened to my brother, something happened that gave him a certain amount of visibility through art. And then thousands of people from all over the world, tens of thousands of people from all over the world reached out to him. And then over 30 million people have now viewed his art. And then from that moment where that happened, He found sobriety and kept it. He got off the street into a halfway house, which now led to an apartment, and he's been sober ever since. What was that? That was like an extreme, massive, unexpected hyper-connectedness. And what I realized in listening to you, Dwayne, is that connectedness is more than a means of just not hurting yourself or just not being depressed all the time. Connectedness is the cure.
0: And, and it is, right? And this is one of the things, one of the most numerous quotes that came out of this conversation is, how do we reach out to support others who are suffering? You know, we had 49 conversations, we had over 20 quotes from all of those different guests. Connectedness is the cure, for isolation, isolation is an indicator of all of these other things, despair, whatever. but that idea of connectedness as the cure, that's, I mean, like you, this is causing me to think even as we're talking, that's a pretty significant concept there.
2: Yeah, I want to stay humble within this conversation because you and Shauna are dealing with these issues on a daily basis with a tremendous amount of professional Training and frontline hands-on work and understanding that I don't have. But I would I'd be curious to ask you, Duane, if you feel that when people are constantly connected, does that keep them out of going into those deeper pits of depression and those deeper pits of isolation? Does a hyper connectedness someone move through life in a happier, better way? And are they more likely to live? I would suspect. That they are, but I'm, I'm curious if you know.
0: The answer and the thing that comes to mind is yes, if it's genuine connectedness. Again, you go back to this digital connectedness. It's like empty calories, right? It's like a donut can fill you up, but it's not going to help you. And so this digital connectedness in which the entire world, as we're recording this, needs to use this. But you see this thing about someone who, you know, they looked so happy on social media, right? But behind that screen, they were slowly dying inside, not, not to be melodramatic. But one of the things that I tell my clients is that we have to have somebody in our life that we can say anything to. Somebody that we trust that if we know that we can say anything to them at any time, that they're not going to throw it in our face. At the same time, we don't have to tell them everything. I have five combat and operational deployments. My wife knows general stuff. She doesn't know specific stuff. And so that's a key point of connectedness keeps people from being isolated. Isolation is one of the key factors that leads to suicide. So you're absolutely right connectedness to other people, one, two, three, five really good friends that you can rely on, is a protective factor that will keep someone from getting into a suicidal crisis.
2: Yeah, genuine connectedness is the cure. I think you have an exceedingly brilliant point. I mean, if you'd like, Dwayne, maybe we could talk for a minute about how blocks work and icons work in relation to this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because and and this is, I'm even as we're talking, this is emerging and solidifying. And I, having read your work and your connection with Shauna, we're familiar with it. But that would be great for listeners to understand because the whole idea of this is where do we go from here? What's the way forward?
2: Yeah. So the, the way to go forward is to get as many people that are facilitating helping loved ones, people that are experiencing depression and dealing with suicide, and the greater public to understand the importance of genuine and physical connectedness, being in the same physical space. And so I want to do a real simple explanation of my work. And I would explain it like this. If you look at road signs and warning labels, and there's billions of them all over the world, when it's a matter of life and death, we use this thing called a block to survive. And all a block is is a big monolithic thing that you can understand before you have a chance to think. So when I see a stop sign, I don't think I see a stop sign. It's massive with negative space around it. There's no complexity. And if I see the skull and crossbones on the back of a bottle, it's something that we understand before we have a chance to think that's oversized with negative space around it. So there's brain science that explains that the part of our brain that lights up when we're looking at something visual is Far more than if we're dealing with a complexity, so we need to communicate these things in a way that we communicate a road sign or a warning label. And what's fascinating about road signs and warning labels is, even though there's billions of them, they always work. Say I'm trying to communicate to people that work to serve and help and support veterans, and there's 10,000 of those people across the United States. A block is something that I want those 10,000 people to understand. So if I take this. Genuine connectedness saves lives. Genuine connectedness is the cure. And I blow it up and I package it like a road sign or a warning label. And I repeat it over and over again, like Sesame Street style, oversized like the count. Then at a population of people or a tribe of people in very short order, in a matter of five days, five minutes, five hours, five months, I can make that thing, that concept Iconic in the mind of the tribe that I'm trying to reach. So why do we call a Coca-Cola and a Kleenex a Kleenex? 50 years of hope, luck, or chance. So you don't need to rely on hope, luck, or chance. You can t- create this block and you can repeat it over and over and you can create that understanding and that connection in a matter of minutes, days, weeks, months, with at deliberation, with intentionality and at will every single time. The minute I've repeated that thing and then my population has taken it on, it is no longer a block it is now an icon in the mind of those I'm trying to reach. So the way you have to think of a block is, a block is just a big punchy thing that's waiting to become an icon. The minute it's taken and cemented in the mind, it's the anatomy of what makes something iconic. It's the thing you repeat, then once it's taken into the mind of my population, it's no longer a block, it's an icon of the mind. So don't get caught up on the word block, it's just an overly simplification of a monolithic true statement that resonates. It's used for learning, But in this case, it can be used to create social change.
0: And I think one of the key things you said there is a true statement. Because before you said it's not just a slogan. We could see that genuine connectedness is a cure. Genuine connectedness saves lives. Those can be slogans, but there is a fundamental truth to them. And there's a fundamental truth that people maybe subconsciously
2: know, but it's not just a slogan. The whole reason that the word slogan exists, a slogan is desperate. It's a desperate attempt to be simple. And people come up with the most ridiculous, stupid things to try to be simple. Like hostess, wholesome, have a Coke and a smile. Or Coke adds life. It's brown, sugared water. And if anything, it does the opposite. So the difference between most people do slogans. We, When we talk about genuine connectedness or physical, physical genuine connectedness saves lives. That's not a slogan. That's a statement of fact. And it hits you. It's a gut punch because you know it's true. I'll give you a crude advertising example of that from the 70s. We have all these horrible slogans that we see everywhere. Lehman Brothers had one, no family left behind. <laughs> right? It didn't age well. <laughs> yeah, it it, did, it definitely didn't it didn't age well. So, if you look at it, FedEx had a campaign in the 1970s. They had a block not a slogan. When it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. This is before email, okay? Before text messages before DocuSign, before the internet, that statement in 1975 was if you were dealing with a mortgage, life insurance, an estate, an inheritance, a purchase of something, that statement was a gut punch before fax machines. So that's the difference between have a Coke and a smile. When you have a statement that emotionally resonates at the core of somebody because it's true or something that they really care about, That's the difference between a block and a slogan.
0: And I think in the idea behind, like you said, uh, FedEx, people automatically got that because it answered a need that they had. And perhaps this genuine connectedness saves lives. That is the truth and and people automatically to connect with it. And then maybe that's going to start conversations to the, There's a whole bunch of subcategories underneath that connectedness between organizations, connectedness between individuals, connectedness between federal, state, and local entities, all of these different, but connectedness is the thread, the single, maybe even the single most important thread that runs through all of them.
2: I think so. And I, even with that FedEx example, and I think why it's a good example is that if, depending on what you have to have there overnight before fax machines and email, that's a massively resonant statement if it's a college application or if it's the life insurance policy that's going to feed your family for the next two years for someone that desperately needs to get something across the country in a day that is a sledgehammer of a statement when they're dealing with that so to me this concept of connectedness saving lives I think to the people that are dealing with that the facilitators that you educate Dwayne your work yourself the spouses the people that are going through it, that I think when they hear the word connectedness in many iterations, it's an emotional spark. It's, an, it's, it's a fire. It has a physical resonant power. If you're actually dealing with that issue on a daily basis, from whatever angle, you're going to feel something in your body when you hear it. And that's why you know that you're on the right thing. And so you repeat that thing over and over. And all of a sudden within your tribe or your population of people that are saving lives, you're going to have a force of people that are impassioned to create connectedness because of your leading with that simplicity. And then the other thing is when you lead with that kind of simplicity and there's all sort my book is 250 pages, right? So one of the things I talk about a lot in the book is we deal with a lot of complexity when solving problems, right? So the veteran mental wellness issue is complicated, but you need to give people a reason to engage with that complication. And so if you can anchor them into something that's emotionally resonant for them, like connectedness, they will actually connect with the more complicated information or complex or intricate information in a much deeper way because they have an anchor. They, They remember it more. They're more impassioned about it. They're more engaged when deploying it. They're more engaged when learning about it. So this idea of that emotionally resonant block, right, it has a tremendous amount of power to do many things in terms of social change, and it should be not underestimated as something simple.
0: You know, and and just hearing that, that is really everything that we had hoped that would emerge out of this series of conversations. Um, And just, this is what we hoped, Sean and I hoped having the conversation with you, is that we were going to gather all of this. We've had many, many different discussions. We've boiled it down to this group. Then how do we take it and move forward? And you've boiled it down to this one. And and I really appreciate that. I, I think that That helps me, it helps me specifically in conversations I'm gonna have tomorrow, much less, hopefully it's helping the listeners understand that this is the main theme that has emerged out of this series of conversations, which is just indicative of all the conversations people are having everywhere, that it has to do with connectedness is the solution. Your work has helped others, obviously it's helped me specifically, and I really appreciate you coming on the show to spread your expertise, to potentially help more people down the
2: road. Just to summate that, Dwayne, me being willing to and wanting to contribute to you and your work, which I have so much admiration for. We had a human connection on this call that I wasn't expecting, even though it was digital and it created connectedness for me. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. It did so for me. And and hopefully this is something that's going to do the same for many other people. So I appreciate it. We've mentioned it several times throughout this series, and even as recently as our wrap-up episode. The title of the show is a misnomer because there is no single solution to the difficult problem of service member veteran and military family suicide. Now, it's said that God laughs at the plans of man, and it seems like the joke is on me because this conversation with Jamie made me realize that there is one single solution— one that incorporates all of the others, genuine connectedness saves lives. We've been seeking the military suicide solution, Shauna, and that seems to be it.
1: Yeah, as I listened to this interview, Dwayne, I reflected again, though, on the story that Jamie shared about his brother who was once among the most invisible in our society, those who are homeless. Jamie's brother has amazing musical talent, and this was the thing that pulled him from near total invisibility at one time. But just being visible was not the thing that turned his life around. It was the conduit to connection with Jamie, who has become an anchoring person in his life. The ability to connect without fear to offer the kind of radical safety that Jamie describes is life-changing. To have even one person like this in one's life can be the key deterrent to navigating times of crisis. Developing a team of a few people like this, a tribe of those whom you can say anything to without fear of being judged or shamed, is the most powerful form of protection against despair. In fact, it feels to me like things are coming full circle in a really cool way. Well over a year ago, Jamie read a draft of a TED Talk that I wrote. And the central phrase that emerged for him, which became part of that talk and part of many other things I've done since, including my book, Warrior, was this phrase. When we connect we survive.
0: I agree that it is important. You heard in the conversation with Jamie that this connectivity is key. Even that connection between Jamie and I and Jamie realizing that it was connectivity. I was in, in, again, I really encourage that people check out the book and, and Jamie's story about his brother is a very clear example of it is that there are so many instances of people connecting to people. And then the avalanche starts with a single pebble. But then this idea of connectedness, I, a part of me says, it can't be this simple. Was this just a, another thing that we just discovered water is wet? Connectedness is important, not just connectedness between individuals, as you just mentioned, but connectedness between people trying to solve all of this. I, I think that there is something profound here, but I also think that it's just going to be one of those things where people are like, well, of course it's important.
1: Yeah, and, and it isn't so simple. Jamie talks about in The Iconist how the block or the central core idea is like the head of an arrow and that it's followed by a shaft. And he alluded to this in the interview that when people really understand the core principle, then they're more open to the complexity in the, the shaft part of the message. And so that's my second point I really wanted to pull out. So the central block in this conversation was genuine connection saves lives. This is powerful, but like every block, it calls for a deeper understanding. Specifically, can we feel that we are connected when we're not really connected? Yes, definitely. Some of the people we've lost to suicide in the veteran community felt themselves to be connected to those around them when the walls closed in on them. And others felt the same about those individuals. They felt connected to these people as well. Some of these people we've lost have been deeply integrated into groups of people who have been doing very meaningful things, even some who are engaging in suicide prevention efforts before they died. From our conversations, I'm confident Jamie would agree with the point I'm going to make here, because we've often talked about the way that avoidance is part of trauma exposure. We as humans have an amazing ability to compartmentalize our emotions. Jamie and you, Duane, talked about the importance of connection here in the sense of not being a different person on Facebook versus in real life. To be truly connected in what you're describing in this conversation as genuine connection, we must first be connected with ourselves. Self-detachment is not only possible It's part of the core impact of trauma. Without being connected to ourselves, we can't genuinely connect with others, even if we think we are connected to them. Without this kind of deep connection with ourselves, a perfect storm of distress can build very quickly and carry us away. In my book Warrior, I use the analogy of the boy of Sparta, who stole a fox and put it inside his cloak. While he sat in plain view of his teachers and fellow students, the fox slowly ate his stomach until he dropped over without a cry of pain. Can we be so disconnected from our own pain that we're numb to the fox in our gut? Yes, we can in some cases. It's one of the most important things to realize about the impact of trauma. Often the first and most painful step is to fully recognize that we're being eaten alive from the inside out, by things like shame or moral anguish or unaddressed grief. So we must first be connected to ourselves and then we must also be connected to two other things. We must also be connected with the tribe of those we love and trust into and the meaning that gives our lives essential purpose. Ultimately, disconnection in any of these areas makes us vulnerable. So genuine connection must include connection with ourselves, with our tribe and with the meaning that can help us survive the psychological impact of our own suffering,
0: I agree. And there is that individual level of connection, so that internal connection. Then there's the connection to a wider group. And so here we're talking about the the individual who is in a suicidal crisis themselves, and then being connected to their purpose or, or a, a different meaning. But I also don't wonder if there's a message of connectedness that is being missed amongst those of us who are trying to collaborate. Again, this idea of connectedness between federal state local efforts. the public health approaches, as Matt Miller mentions, community interventions connected with clinical interventions. Even similar organizations doing the same thing. And so everybody's trying to connect to the individual, But there's no connection between the organizations of the individuals trying to support. I don't wonder if there's maybe some sense of, of frustration there that we who are trying to help need to connect to others who are trying to help rather than just trying to focus on that individual connectedness.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think it's all one mission. And that's something that we really need to arrive at. The field as a whole, really seeing it that way, that we're collaborators and not competitors, all of us, that this is one mission. I go back to the Spartans on this one again. I think about the concept of a phalanx, locked shields, and where we have lots of gaps is where certain organizations are not locking their shields with others for whatever reason. So I do think there is that that level. And you know, this whole year has been a labor of love. Really, we've been supported by so many people who have locked shields with us along the way. And and I, I just wanted to say as we close out, I can think of no one I'd rather have done this with than you, Dwayne. And I wish you and all of our listeners a year of connection and meaning as we collectively move towards healing.
0: I absolutely agree. And even this project itself, it grown out of connection. Yours and my, our connection, the two of us and the concept as we developed our partnership with Military Times, connection, obviously, with all of our outstanding guests. I even think back to fostering connections amongst listeners and guests, like how Chris Giacomik had mentioned. The more I think about this concept of genuine connectedness saves lives, it's true. And it's so obviously true that it seems like, of course, it should be true. But I think if we really start to figure out how whatever work is being done in the suicide prevention space, how it relates to being connected Mm -hmm. organizations to organizations, individuals to individuals, individuals to resources, that if we look at it through genuine connectedness, again, not passive resource offering, not call us if you need us, not get thee to the doctor because they can do it and I can't, but genuine connectedness, I think, saves lives. And so I also really appreciate you joining me with this.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the connection we're talking about here takes a different kind of courage than the courage required for physical warfare. And if we can develop that and hold that courage and build that deep trust with each other as organizations and with the people that we're walking to support, that's going to change everything.
0: It certainly is. And and we really appreciate everyone for joining us on this series. We appreciate the support and the feedback that we have. We recognize that this is just the beginning of the conversation, and hopefully this will help you start to have conversations in your community community, in your network, in your personal life, in your professional life, we just really hope that this is something that you can take and continue to learn from and and really employ some of these things that we've talked about in this series. So you can take a look at the show notes at this episode, you can find at bettermentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS bonus. Or by downloading the app by searching STMSS in the Apple app or Google Play Stores. In the show notes, you can get the links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as finding the show on MilitaryTimes.com. As a reminder, you can ask us questions and let us know what you thought about the show by going to our Facebook group, moderated by the outstanding D. James, by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash group. And always remember, you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1 800 273 8255 and pressing 1 chatting online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution and make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest episodes. Remember, you're not alone, ever.